The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. Welcome to Business is Boring. If you work in a building, chances are it has a property manager. They're the person who gets the email about that flickering light or dripping pipe. But as you could imagine, if you have a bunch of buildings, this is hard to manage. And one cool local company, Frankie, has created property operations software that helps people take control from the chaos that can be property management. Most property managers are looking after 20 to 30 buildings at a time, with all of those maintenance schedules, little tasks and bigger fires to fight. So it's a big problem and one that's underserved today. And every building needs this kind of reactive management, while the best buildings have proactive management, which can cut carbon costs, save money, and improve productivity. Frankie founder and CEO Georgie Venick joins us now to chat the journey so far, scaling across New Zealand and Australia, and getting further into industry and education. Tanakwe, thank you for being here. Morena, thank you very much for having me. Hey, um, tell us about your path into starting your own business. As I see, like, you've worked at, you know, Uber, one of the most kind of, you know, well-known and interesting disruptive kind of companies in the world, and also have this background in consulting. Yeah. So um, I think just like any graduate leaving university, there's the big question of, oh, my God, what do I do next? Um, I was an English major and a, and a, a did also a Bachelor of Commerce as well. Um, and so really tapped into that kind of business business opportunity or commercial opportunity after finishing at the University of Otago um, and went and worked for Deloitte. Um, and I think consulting is a really interesting place to be in your first few years because you get exposed to all sorts of different industries, all sorts of different problems and how uh, leaders or um, leaders make decisions. I kind of love it, eh? Because they take a bunch of like smart young people and say, go make really kind of like grown up decisions, like kind of the things that CEOs or product managers or people, you know, strategists do. Uh, And and you get to work with people who've been doing that for years, uh, who help to train your gut. Yeah, you you definitely work out how to orientate yourself within a business and a problem really, really quickly. Um, And there are all sorts of smart people around you to support you. Um, But also it's just fascinating because you get to talk to um, talk to a range of different people within the business to then sort of uh, and ask them questions and then reflect back their answers and kind of a bit of a study type of type approach. So um, yeah, I got exposed to banking, insurance, um, the construction industry, like pretty early on. Um, And it was, yeah, it was a fascinating kind of first couple of years. Um, I would have to say like, definitely just like listening. um, And um, yeah, listening and then calibrating in those first couple of years was super important as well. 
Yeah. It's kind of like doing an MBA, eh? Like you get to go in, learn about different industries, analyze the problem, come up with your solutions, and then you know sell it into a business, and 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 hopefully it gets implemented and you get some results. Well, that was one of the reasons why when moving over to to England um, and doing the classic sort of OE that most Kiwis do, um, I was super keen to jump into a business because I think there's only so much that you can advise without doing, um, and the opportunity to just start to make decisions and, again, work with super smart people scaling a big business, um, but certainly own uh, yeah, own decisions and own analysis and that sort of thing was just something that I loved going in and working in London. Yeah, tell us about that because you're, you know, some people go on an OE and, you know, um, pull, pull some pints or whatever, and you helped launch Uber. <laughs> I was among a really, really yeah. cool team. Mm. Yep. Um, so I joined in about 2014, um, just in sort of October 2014. So the company had, had um, essentially spent the, the last couple of years before I joined essentially building out the business in, say, central London, um, Soho, um, Kensington, that sort of thing, in, and where they started was just this sort of black cab service, um, and it's pretty it's pretty well known and pretty famous now um, in terms of just offering that kind of I suppose quite expensive service in order to be able to sort of refine the product and understand the market and all of that sort of thing. And I joined at a time when they were going through basically the democratization of that um, that part of their business. Um, so we were just um, we were just scaling. Um, and the way I'd describe it would be kind of four jobs in four years, like four different levels of scale, um, four different challenges or business problems to be solved at each level of that scale. Um, but yeah, it was it was certainly pretty cool. And what's it like being on the inside of one of these, you know, companies of our age and something that everyone kind of knows and uses and has an opinion about and um, that disrupted in the UK, you know, like black cabs are part of the culture, you know, disrupting taxis as like a concept. What a fascinating thing to be part of. Absolutely. And I think sort of looking back, Certainly it was disruptive at the time, but I think I was back in London last year and the taxi cab has never been stronger. Um, I think if you look at it from a competition and market perspective, um, the yeah the black cabs are doing extremely well. Uber's um, still, a, uh, still a fantastic service around the world. Um, and yeah, it's just been great for, I think, both. What kind of work were you doing? Is there some real big... Um systems and challenges and supply chains and all that there's so many moving parts to make something seem as simple as you just pull out your phone and you can watch the 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 shape coming towards you right totally and i think if you just go back to some of the screenshots of the product back in 2014 and then look at the screenshots of the product now and both the rider application and the driver application they look completely different it's it's quite uh, quite crazy um and so there've been there were all sorts of different uh, changes that I experienced. Um, I started out working in the community operations team, so that was making sure that if somebody lost um, lost their bag or left it in the car, um, or had an issue with a um, with a, a 
with the trip, um, the price of it or something like that, um, we got back to people. Um, and that started with um, an immense ownership and, and knowledge of the customer from the local team. And then we actually scaled that out and sort of built international support teams over time. Um, after that, I actually went and sort of launched areas around Greater London. So we called it the home counties. So um, basically, um, essentially providing a network of um, providing the network and making sure the network was reliable in the outer suburbs of London. Um, and then after that, that was when um, we we were challenged and rightly so on our support um, to um, drivers, basically. Um, and I headed up the community um, engagement team across the UK, making sure that Uber wasn't a black box, basically. So we started podcasts and we um, had all sorts of events, um, made sure that we were listening to drivers and holding roundtables and that sort of thing. And then eventually ended up in Amsterdam um, working and doing some competition stuff. Quite an interesting thing to be dealing with drivers as well, because um, especially in the early days, a lot of this chat's gone away. But yes. kind of the... the the promise was, well, we're going to, you know, disintermediate, you know, taxis by getting drivers for now and then it'll be robots. And so you were kind of like getting people to drive to do themselves out of a job, although that noise has gone away, right? Definitely. Um, I don't, yeah, I think that technology has proven that it's a little bit further away than initially thought. Mm. Um, and the thing I loved about the job most, uh, most, of all was like you're working with smart people and then you're listening to ideas from drivers on a daily basis in office hours around round tables and essentially providing that feedback back to the product team, back to the policy team and then changing operations and process to make lives better. Um, and that was just really cool. I think like in terms of um, the superpowers of what that organisation um, sort of taught me and also just like how we led it, um, particularly in the UK, I think, um, we were really focused on kind of listening, taking on feedback and then adjusting. Um, and everyone was pretty bought into that. And so it was smart people working on like fast, actionable change, which is, yeah, it's, it was an awesome, essentially training ground to, to then work out, okay, cool. If I was ever to start my own company, what would, yeah, what would a strong ownership culture look like? Yeah. And, and just to kind of like round off one more thing there, like Uber does get, you know, quite a, a hard rap because of a lot of the public issues and the, you, you know, kind of like culture of disruption and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But if you look at the change in lives, like I, I, I got a ride with a guy recently and he was like, oh, I work in East Tamaki. And yeah. so I just like chuck the meter on, uh, you know, chuck the app on yeah. for my drive home, pick yeah. a couple of people up on the way home and I yep. get, I, I pay for my ride home and I love it. Yes. And that kind of, there's all kinds of ways that people can interact with Uber yeah. in ways that are really complementary to their lives, right? Yes. I remember when that product feature came out uh, it's called the go home button mm. and you basically push it it takes you in the direction of home or wherever you want to go um, to make your life easier so that you get home on time for like a, your um, to pick your kids up from school or um, to just get home and sleep like I yeah it was like one of those super features where all, every driver in office hours was just like this is amazing this is so cool it's so yeah. cool. And then this guy who, you know, his drive home that was yeah. an hour and a half of pain and, you know, no money and, you know, cost suddenly became an earner because yeah. he's heading the same way. Yes. Like, like cool things. I know. And how did you get to be back in New Zealand? And what leads you to be interested in the world of property tech? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, so <laughs> I think, <laughs> um, so I think I, I took a few months off 
um, in between sort of traveling, uh, in between sort of finishing up at finishing up at Uber in about 2018, and then moving back to New Zealand. Initially, the idea was to sort of move to Sydney, and um, but certainly the idea was to do a bit of travel and see the world. I think anyone who starts a company is just incredibly curious, um, and I was curious about the world, like what was Africa like, what was the Middle East like, um, what was Southeast Asia like, um, and what were the what were the kind of um, ways in which cities were growing up. Um, and so Frankie really came out of um, a bunch of kind of space to think, which I think everyone needs. Um, and then also just this um, series of really interesting conversations when I came back to New Zealand. Um, I kind of had a bit of a career crisis. I was working at Lime, about to go and launch a bunch of Australian cities, um, and then decided, hey, no, um, I'm really loving being back in New Zealand, um, spending time with um, friends and family. Um, and so I jumped over to an awesome um, tech services company called Rush Digital, and we started to look at LNK's How to Invent the Future, um, worked with great people like um, Pavan Vyas, Danushka Basuria, um, Steve Horner, um, just to kind of say, okay, what problems are facing the world? And this kind of initial inkling of an idea um, came that had come about on those travels really started to kind of get chiselled out and um, answered in relation to just how our properties, how our cities maintained and talking to, say, a few dozen property managers and just talking to them about, okay, how do you, um, how do you go home on time? Um, what happens when you go home? Um, do you still get called? What tools are you using at the moment? It became really clear that there was just this huge opportunity to make their lives a bit better. What was the interest that got you to property? Is once you start, like, you know, once you take yeah. a two-step up um, and see the big, you know, bird's eye view, you yeah. can see all the networks and all of the things that link things together. But just walking around a city day to day, you don't see um, these as groups of buildings with common um, management or ownership issues, right? So how, yeah, how did you get into that view? Yeah, so I think... It's it's like when you look at the city, and I think I was in Hanoi at the time, um, when you look at the city and you say, okay, well, how is that building built? What are the composite parts that make it up? And you've got, you've got steel, um, you've got concrete foundations, you've got HVAC systems, you've got lifts, you've got windows. And then you start to say, okay, well, how are those maintained over time? Um, and then are they maintained, are they maintained well? Um, what goes wrong in a building? How does that workflow work? All of that sort of thing. And just that curiosity and asking those initial questions, we knew that we didn't necessarily have all the answers, but by asking those questions of people who are doing the work day in, day out, it was like, oh my God, you guys literally keep the lights on in our cities. Oh, it's kind of like a um, quite quite deep and scary realisation to look around and see entropy everywhere. Yeah. You're like, everything is slowly falling apart. <laughs> what are we doing about this? <laughs> Well, yeah, and then how do you how do we build? Um, like I think back in the day we used to over engineer structures because we weren't quite sure what was going to happen in terms of earthquakes and um, that sort of thing. And now we're at the stage where um, where we've got sort of building products that are instead of lasting for 50 to 60 years, they're lasting for 10, 20 years. And that's largely because of cost. Um, and so it's just, hey, how do we over time start to influence um, pretty sort of big um, parts of our uh, either climate budget or property budget to um, sort of last longer so that they, um, yeah. 
And how do you go from that kind of interest level? Like, you know, do you um, do you have a look around and go, wow, this is like a really underserved thing? Or what are people currently doing if they are a property manager managing kind of, you know, 10 industrial buildings or something? Like, what was yeah. the situation once you started looking at it? Well, um, so we spent a lot of time with people um, and just kind of followed them. Um, and we just started with, what do you do on a day-to-day basis and what tools do you do you use to, to govern that? Um, and just the classic answers came through. It was spreadsheets, it was calendar reminders, it was emails um, and that sort of thing. And it was our belief that by building really good, simple software that you could kind of bring that together and make it easier to manage over time so that if that um, bathroom had been repaired sort of five times in the last six months, we could start to show those insights to our customers to say, okay, what would a preventative fix versus a corrective fix look like? Yeah. And I imagine that, you know, if you've got kind of four or five buildings, say, and, you know, things are breaking and changing on different kind of cycles and stuff, you've got all kinds of different office managers and maybe office managers come and go because maybe they're not a forever job and maybe there's different contractors and maybe it's just a big mess of like duplicate tasks. Yeah. To kind of build on that, these are incredibly busy people. So usually there are a couple of people who are responsible for keeping that portfolio kind of up and running and responding to a bunch of reactive issues. And the way that they, um, the way the tools that they've got at the moment just mean they're incredibly busy. So constantly what we're hearing was, hey, I just don't have time to get my head above water in order to be able to look at the trends across that one bathroom and that sort of thing. But if I'd be interested in if you could provide me a tool where I save time and save money more importantly, um, and I could see those trends on a regular basis, then that would make my life easier. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what drives us. And then when looking around, you'd think, you know, big business, right? Like property and, you know, commercial property ownership – pretty professional, lots of money around it and stuff. Surely they've got some good tools. What did yeah. you find? Yeah, so um, all sorts of different um, different ways of doing things, um, which is awesome. Like, that's great because it, um, it provides this great um, opportunity to experiment. Um, so a lot of those sort of basic tools, such as, um, such as Excel, um, calendar reminders, emails, um, and then also a few sort of older systems um, that were built in kind of the early 2000s as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then no great kind of cloud-based software platform. Exactly. And able to be used the, everywhere. Yeah. Like, oh, here's a Excel pen and paper and um, legacy software job. Absolutely. And um, I think like – it's very easy to say, um, and like, ta-da, Frankie was born. <laughs> we were just able to like absolutely smash it. Um, everything that we built was used immediately. There were no bugs, all of that sort of thing. Um, but actually what it's been is this culmination of this, of probably two to three years of like really high frequency testing, development. Our engineering team led by Sam Monet is just absolutely fantastic at responding to feedback, getting it out, and that sort of thing. So it's one of those things that, is like has been a um, has been an exercise in terms of constantly developing and listening to customers, refining, going back, 
to um, that initial set of customers and then going from there. I think like to there's this great um, great series of podcasts or I suppose interviews with Reid Hoffman um, at Stanford and he sits down with Eric Schmidt um, and talks about kind of scaling um, scaling talent at Google and that sort of thing. And um, Eric kind of talks about um, the initial conversation with Travis Kalanick at Uber um, when they were initially sort of building out the system and that sort of thing. And Travis just said, like, just like just wait, we need to get the product ready before we scale it. Um, and that was what our 2021-2022 period was. Um, we were like working really closely with our customers to make sure that we had it right in order to be able to scale more this year. We'll be back yeah. in a moment actually yeah. <laughs> to hear from Georgie Vinnick about how Frankie has scaled. Spark is proud to partner with the Sustainable Business Network and the Climate Action Toolbox. The free Climate Action Toolbox can provide you with simple step-by-step guides to measure and reduce your emissions. Help lead the way to a low-carbon future for New Zealand. Visit sparklab.co.nz forward slash sustainability to find out more. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. No, we're back with Georgie Fennick of Frankie. Hey, so have you just been kind of doing your Uber kind of year in that analogy of, um, or, or years, building out the product with those first customers, really getting that problem solved? Um, and are you in a scale moment? Like, where, where's Frankie today? Yeah, so we, I'm incredibly proud to say we work with around $4 billion worth of assets now across New Zealand and Australia. Um, and that in three years is just, I think, Phenomenal, not to toot your own horn a little bit, but I'm just really proud of... It's awesome. Thanks. Well, I'm just really proud of what the team's achieved. Um, We have... We work with um, secondary schools all across the country and then large format industrial property. So we're really interested in that um, scale impact that uh, essentially large roofing profiles can have, huge paving areas and drainage systems can have. And I think um, last year we were uh, chatting to anyone who who would listen about, hey, clear your gutter and make sure you clear your drainage system before winter. And then randomly on sort of Auckland anniversary weekend, um, all of that came to the fore in the, um, and basically all of the floods that we've started to have. Um, and so I think it's just really relevant relevant technology that's sort of essentially, frankly, practical. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us how a good kind of um, instance of Frankie works. Like, because um, everything's a system, right? So when you say clear your gutters, it's yeah. because the the amount of roof space is going to lead to the amount of water coming down, which is going to lead to the X, which is going to lead to the X. And so once you get everything in the system, do you suddenly get that system level view? Well, I think the thing, so we work with, I suppose, portfolios of, portfolios of property and so as we kind of as you alluded to in the introduction it can be pretty chaotic like totally random events happen across um, a network of 20 to 30 properties whether they're geographically distributed across Australia or New Zealand or centralized within a particular city 
Um, and so the customer experience is one of just baselining what you're doing at the moment, getting that into the tool, and then starting to see where your gaps are. So you might be really concerned consistent across 50% of your portfolio with roofing or drainage, but the other 50% you might be missing entirely. And so we just give you the just a really simple tool to be able to say, hey, what are you missing? Where are you missing it? And um, hey, how can we help you automate and simplify the existing operations that you're doing Ex- uh, like fantastically well. So it's like that classic, um, it's the classic benefit of technology to just see the wood from the trees a little bit. And I imagine at that kind of scale, um, you know, there's not one person able to go around and know everything, right? And then how do you get maintenance schedules or, you know, obsolescence schedules or whatever with these materials without having something like this? Well, that's the awesome thing about the industry. The property manager holds an intense amount of knowledge and they actually do know a heck of a lot. They've been in that role for say 5, 10, 20 years um, and they just know how the school runs or the um, industrial property runs on a um, on a seasonal basis essentially. So they know when the frost starts, what to do with the HVAC, what to do with the boiler um, and then or they know, hey, that roof is the one that's going to be the issue. I'll put in some extra work, um, make sure that we've got buckets or the roofer on call um, in order to be able to sort that outcome winter um, and it's just that um, it's just enhancing and building tools that they can do more um, is the whole idea of the system how have you gone about growing the business I guess the cool thing is like you know by definition they have many properties at once um, you, you know industrial property owners so that commercial property owners so that's really cool but yeah how do you go about building I guess confidence and getting in with this new kind of product? Or are they just so happy to see you because life's been so hard? Hey, they are um, they are sort of open to new ideas, open to new ways of thinking. And um, coffee meetings, essentially. Um, so back in 2020, we launched in February 2020, and then two weeks later, we went into a global lockdown. So that was a good time to kind of take stock. We won one customer, which gave us the confidence to kind of keep going, and we lost one. Um, and we were like, okay, cool, there's enough in this to kind of make a business. Um, but coffee meetings, I cannot um, I cannot emphasize enough anyone who's kind of thinking of starting their own business um, about the power of just sitting down with somebody and just saying, hey, what do you think of this? This idea, and then building a really strong rapport with that person, and then going back every month or every two weeks to say, "Hey, these are the changes. Is this enough for you?" Um, early on, in as part of those coffee meetings, got some great advice from other entrepreneurs in the industry here in New Zealand about the power of learning from every no. Um, and just when somebody says no, they don't mean no forever. They just mean no, that's not ready or no, that's uh, not quite right. Um, but there's no reason why you can't go back to them in, say, three to six months and say, hey, we've changed all of this. What do you think now? And that goes for customers. It goes for sort of potential investors and, yeah, other people. Yeah. One of the cool things that Mahesh at Phase One Ventures was doing yeah. was that idea of, you know, try and have 100 meetings with potential customers before you launch. Yes. And yeah. that's so cool because like, you get like a pipeline of people who become hopefully your first customers as well before yeah. you've even 
written a line of code or made the first bit of your product. No, exactly. And I couldn't, as soon as that, that was like one of the light bulb moments, because I think as an early stage founder, like literally your product is kind of a hundred lines of code. You've got an idea of where you want to take it, but you're not entirely sure what to focus on. In the next sprint, something like that, you're working with um, sort of part-time engineers um, and you're putting your all into it. You can kind of get lost and and lost in terms of like um, your enthusiasm for the idea when you are hearing a lot of no's. But if you take it as kind of a challenge and a learning opportunity just to say, okay, it's not no forever, it's just no for right now, there's something that's like this awesome light bulb moment where you go, oh, okay, cool. If we uh, continue to persist um, and we've got a good plan and we know that these customers are going to work with us to create the solution, then that's, yeah, that's awesome. Could not agree more with Mahesh. Yeah. Yeah. And your growth journey so far has been really awesome. Last year, you went out and raised a a good kind of 900K or something, right, to help you scale up. How's that process been for you? And what does that unlock for you in the business? Yeah, so that was that moment where you're like, when we knew that we we had enough proof points with our customers and with the technology um, that we had faith and that if we took money, we could do something with it. Um, And we have done so much with that money. It's been amazing. So the initial round was led by um, led by the Ice House, um, and just getting um, working with uh, working with the guys there, Robbie Barnes Bex. Um, it's just it's just a fantastic network to be part of. Um, and then what we've done with the money is built a team. So on the engineering t- side, uh, led by Sam Manet, um, we had met at the Climate Response Accelerator run by Creative HQ. Um, he decided to come on full time and we were able to kind of essentially build out um, a really, really good um, engineering function of three to four developers and engineers. And they're the guys who um, sort of build um, build the product in every kind of two-week cycle. Um, we've got, we got Melody, who is a brilliant junior designer, who just essentially um, started to bring all of the, like, insights from all of the interviews that we'd had with customers together into a coherent product strategy. And then from an operations perspective, we got people like um, Hamish Barclay, um, and we've recently brought on a couple of people called Deirdre and Bogdan in the North Island and the South Island to continue to kind of scale that customer interaction. And it's just the team that we were, we were able to build and develop out and therefore the impact on the customer and the ability to listen to the customer and scale um, through sort of large industrial networks like um, like Fonterra's Farm Source, um, working with uh, secondary schools like Rutherford College, Auckland Girls Grammar, Paraparo Umu College, where we started um, initially testing out the idea has just been awesome. That's so cool. As it's not easy to stick the landing on tripling your team size and tripling your operations and like growth is hard like you know there's so much survivorship bias and like (laughs) everyone's always talking to people who've just done well but that's really hard in a short amount of time right yeah no definitely cannot play down hey there are challenges along the way and all of that sort of thing but I think if you've got a really clear kind of mission vision um, and you know that hey it can be a little bit chaotic and a bit like sporadic along the way um, but that you've got a clear idea of where you want to get to and just the change that you want to see in the use of your technology um, then yeah it kind of yeah that that carries you forward yeah where do you see this going like 
is there the same situation where there's, you know, people running multi-billion dollar portfolios with, you know, pen and paper and Excel and old old Roger remembers, um, you know, <laughs> is that everywhere in the world? Like, um, where, where do you want to go next and where could Frankie get to? Yeah, a roof is a roof mm. and a drainage system is a drainage system. Um, yeah, we have global ambitions. Last year we started to work with portfolios over in Australia um, and we'll continue to expand, uh, expand and develop out um, relationships um, across Australia and New Zealand for the next few years um, and then would love to go further further afield from there. I'm not entirely sure um, of where uh, where we'll end up. Um, the UK and the US seems uh, seems likely. Um, but yeah, continue to expand and continue to have an impact on the lifetime of those building products. So when we look at those, and, and there's a particular reason for that. So when we look at those building products, if you want to replace a roof or if you want to re, uh, replace like a big yard um, and you're the one paying for it, it's super expensive. So it's in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars to replace those um, those particular elements of the building. And it's a pretty big operational impact at the same time. Um, we want to help businesses to reduce their costs to serve from a building perspective um, and also reduce that cost to the environment at the same time. Um, yeah. yeah. What's the change we could see there is, you know, are we too short term? Is it a good idea to be like, you know, having to swap out really key parts of infrastructure every 20, 30 years because we bought the cheap ones going in? Well, I wouldn't say that you're necessarily buying the cheap cheap things going in. It's just how they kind of maintained over time. It's maybe like an entropy in terms of, you mentioned entropy before and it's such a fascinating concept. Mm. You could almost yeah. do an entire podcast on, <laughs> on entropy and it would be like in our time with Melvin Bragg and his guests. Um, <laughs> now, yeah. jo- Georgie, um, could you in two minutes please give me a little overview of what does entropy mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, for a roof, <laughs> um, it just means kind of the a roof's lifetime is a pretty fascinating thing over 20, 30, 40 years. Um, and you can put things on a roof, you can put solar panels, you can put um, HVAC, um, and you can kind of, you don't always see a roof as well. It's hard to access. It's, it's certainly quite dangerous to access um, most of the time, unless there's some good um, sort of monkey toe systems on the roof or something like that. Um, and so just because of that, um, yeah, you can get into um, an HP of, hey, that roof is probably fine. We haven't had any leaks there recently, but not acknowledging that there might be a sort of a build up in one of the gutters um, or the fasteners on half the roof might be rusted through. Yeah. And about to leak, sort of thing. And people yeah. just don't know, and they yeah. you just you, no one's keeping track of. We've got to check this on these schedules. What advice would you have for people who do see a problem with a big market and want to kind of like make their own business? Yeah, um, talk to the people that you admire most to begin with to kind of test out the idea. It doesn't have to be sort of friends and family. Um, I would even say they are always going to support you, but sometimes they they don't care or they don't have as much passion. But for, but finding some mentors or finding some people who you've worked with really well in the past to just kind of test out that idea and essentially throw it around and challenge it a little bit um, in terms of like business model, what the product is going to be and all of that sort of thing. And then just as Mahesh and I are saying, go out and talk to 100 people um, and you'll probably get 99% of them say no, but don't be dis- 
discourage from that because you can go back and turn them into a yes later on. Um, so yeah, that's probably how I'd start. And then listen to some really cool podcasts. So like how I built this is got has got me through I'm many a, Roz. <laughs> yes, many a trying time. Huh? And then um, yeah, Masters of Scale Masters is of scale. Masters Good, of Scale eh? is yeah. great as well. And when like in that lockdown period in 2020 and 2021, so many walks where you just like listen to listen to podcasts and kind of take stock that you can start a business. Yeah. And that idea of like talking to a hundred people, like I think it's a great filtering mechanism too. Like if yeah. you're too scared to ring up a hundred people and talk to them or yeah. it's too much work, you're probably not going to enjoy everything else to do with running a business, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, you've got to get you've got to be able to get out there. Um, but in the same in the same way, that doesn't have to be super scary at the same time. If you're meeting up with people for coffee, that's often like ideal because you can just it just turns into a bit of a conversation. And you can send an agenda across initially just which is like, hey, we'd love to talk to you on these points. All of that sort of thing, but New Zealand's got like this great network of um, entrepreneurs who have who have done it before, um, and just asking, starting by asking their advice, yeah, is uh, is cool. And as a final thought, what will success be for Frankie, which is still kind of like you know in very early days, right? Yeah. And what will success be for you? I think success for for the organisation is having a bit of a global impact. So our vision is by 2030 have a sort of a tangible impact on how the world spends its trillion dollars worth of OPEX on an annual basis. Um, and with the customers that we've got so far, we're starting to prove that out. But certainly there's still like a, there's still a bit of, um, there's not necessarily a scientific rigour around, hey, a dollar here is going to have this impact. And we'd love to bring that science to, to the industry. So I think global impact and then bringing, um, bringing a bunch of data to the industry, I think we'd be very, very excited about. And then personally, um, sort of keeping a bit of work-life balance, making sure that the team can do that, making sure that they're sort of in positions where they can scale and grow their careers, um, that's, that's the personal side. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming and sharing your story so far today. And Really can't wait to see where you take it. Like the passion and the, um, the, 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 the knowledge of the problem and customer, it feels like unstoppable. Thank you very much. That means a lot. Yeah, very cool. Love it. Um, thank you so much. That's Georgie Pinnock, the founder and CEO at Frankie. Thanks, Simon. So thank you to Georgie. Thank you to you for listening uh, and to everyone who helps make this happen, like our producer, Samuel Robinson. Uh, do follow Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to rate and leave a review if you like what we do. In order. From the Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Businesses Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Businesses Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice.
A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.